time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Team of Detroit, hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Grinch. Throw the buffs on their face, because that's Big Grinch. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Grits. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Come on. Big Grits and this bitch playing no roles. Excuse all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Grits says stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. Big Grits ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we gonna take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Big Grits got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Grits with the bucks on on the lookout. And she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on their pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit Michigan. Throw the bucks on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about the stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue with uh, our uh, show, the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour has been on the show uh, a few times, and it's uh, great to have him back. I think everybody knows him as Uncle John, as in Uncle John's bathroom reader, uh, but we know him as Gordon Jovna. He joins me now by phone. Hey, Gordon, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be with you again. Um, you know, 
I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood for love. I'm in the mood, people. I'm in the mood for love. I'm in the mood, baby. I'm in the mood for love. Time is the right time to be with the one you love. <laughs> I love you so much, baby, but <laughs> you are so far away. I'm in the mood, people. In the mood for love. I'm in the mood, baby. I'm in the mood for Welcome back. That was blues artist uh, Greg Nagy from right here in good old Flint, Michigan, from a live performance on the Tom Sumner program. And a little teaser for what's coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, which is uh, new music from Raphael Banks. In the meantime, we're going to talk with a uh, debut novelist, um, 
who was originally from South Africa, but uh, immigrated to Canada at uh, age 10, and um, has been a competitive tennis player and coach, and of course, uh, that means that it seems only natural that he would base his uh, debut novel in the world of boxing. <laughs> the book is called Undercard. The uh, author is David Albertine. He joins me by phone. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, I was poking fun a little bit about uh, about you being a tennis player and, and what attracted right. you in telling this story to basing it in the world of boxing and not tennis right yes no, it's a good a good joke <laughs> and uh very true uh the the main thing was when i was building i was it, the this whole pro- protagonist to the story and i wanted each one to be an athlete in a different sport so when i was envisioning because i didn't actually have a featured sport in mind so one of the characters was a boxer one was a tennis player one is a basketball player one's a decathlete in track and field and then uh, just gradually as I was building the story and I chose Las Vegas as the setting, you know, with boxing being such a big part of the history and sports history of Las Vegas, uh, it ended up just feeling natural that that would be, I knew I wanted to have a um, action set piece going on in the background of a major sports event. So uh, it just all kind of came together. But I've been a fan of boxing since I was a child and uh, done a bit of cross training. So I've been a big fan. So, did, so that's how it ended up like that. Did you have to do a lot of research to um, to to portray the uh, the events and the behind the scenes things, um, you know, somewhat plausibly? Yes, yes. So it was a both of drawing on my own experiences. Uh, I used to train in um, in the main tennis stadium in Toronto, where they have the big tennis tournament. There's a gym in, inside it. Um, where, where athletes train out of. And uh, that's what really sparked the idea was I was in these, like, you know, inside these stadiums and arenas. And there's a lot to these buildings that, you know, fans generally don't get to go to, right? That That's separate from the, the stands and, and things like that, you know, gyms and offices and all sorts of things. And these, these really cool kind of sleek tunnels inside. And, and I would go, and when there's no sports event on, it's very eerie and quiet. So And I just thought... Uh, this would be so cool to have a story going on like in in a building like this, but like while there's a major event going on, and then uh, and and also having the sports event have have uh, the relationship, the outcome of the the result of the sports event affect what's going on and sort of the action behind the scenes. So so there were a lot of kind of personal experience that I had, and then also my own experiences competing in a variety of sports. But then yes, also like a, a lot of research, yeah. Um, and and uh, the the other question is um, for a debut novel. Why why thriller? Is that uh, something that's that's always had appeal to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, when I was writing it, I didn't really <laughs> I didn't really think of it as a thriller. I just thought I'm writing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was you just, know, just a story. Novel, to but tell, then right? they're like. Yeah, it was just a story, and then everyone was like, great thriller. (laughs) But um, I would say in terms of thrillers, I mean, I've been a fan. I've read quite, I'd say, widely, and and I'm really a fan of a lot of different kinds of books and different kinds of writing, but I'd say Michael Crichton in terms of thrillers was like my first 
real like thrillers that I loved and the way he paced his novels and everything I think that had a had a big influence on me how um and and when I was a child and I I was writing from a young age I really wanted to sort of emulate the sort of uh pacing and excitement and suspense that that he was able to develop and, and also such a comprehensive kind of world that he would create I think that was a big influence on me in uh in the stories that I wanted to tell now, do you think of this as a standalone book, or is it potentially the first in a series? Uh, in my head, it's a standalone, but uh, <laughs> there's some room open, so perhaps <laughs> one day, if ever I'm uh, called upon <laughs> to write a sequel, I probably could, but uh, for the moment, I think it's a standalone. But, but David, the, the reason I ask that is sometimes in the in the development of a character, it you know you get to the end mm. of the story and then all of a sudden it's like okay well then what happens with this guy y- you know what i mean it just seems right. like there's always more to tell um and we see that a lot with uh especially with thrillers because there's a lead detective or um you know a, a person that's that's critical to the telling of the story and survives the story and and there's this sense that well then what? Does another case come along? Do they retire and play tennis or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say it because the book I'm working on now is actually in the tennis club world, uh, but a completely separate story. Uh, so it's also sort of um, crime fiction, but uh, sort of the head pro of a tennis club is murdered, and uh, but there's a lot else going on. And then they gotta uh, find out, but um, but yeah, it's a good uh, good question. I feel like with this book, it's not sort of like a thriller where it's uh, you know sort of a crime solving protagonist at its center. It's more of an, on, an ensemble cast of, of four main characters, and they each kind of have their own story. And, and the story is really about how their lives intersect and intertwine. And I feel like by the end of the novel. Uh, their relationships with each other have been set one way or another, da- you know, um, David, good or bad. It's kind of David. I, I have to put a comma here because I have to go to break. Can you stick around? Because I want to talk to you some more. This is fun. Oh, for sure. I'd love to. Great. Thank you. My uh, guest is David Albertine, author of Undercard. It is a uh, first-time novel, but I don't think the last. We'll Everybody's be right back. doing a brand-new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, 
save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on the the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the Thunderbird's kissing cousin Get in a Ford Get Ford a try So don't be standing on the corner Watching all the Fords Watching all the Fords Be the guy who's going by This is Jill Stein And you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program and welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is first-time novelist David Albertine, and he joins me by phone. David, welcome back. Hi, uh, thanks. Thanks. Um, just before the break, we were talking, uh, you mentioned something about, uh, I, I was asking you if you were a fan of thrillers and, and why you wrote the kind of story that you did. And and you said something about um, the the tension of it and and the not knowing uh, you know what's what's going to happen the suspense if you will and I wonder how much of of that is is built into you from having spent a life playing competitive sports 
where the outcome is never really certain. There's a lot of suspense, a lot of drama. Is there is there a bridge between uh, telling stories um, and and living that life? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's a great point. Um, I think definitely, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan, I think even before sports, of just sort of action storytelling, exciting storytelling. Uh, but I think also, yeah, I very much want to, um, in my writing, capture the sort of visceral aspect of, I guess, physical activity and, and sort of like physical excitement. Um, I think that's a big thing I want to have in my writing, and I think people have responded to that. And, for instance, like the boxing scene, uh, there's, there's the one match which uh, the sort of the story revolves around. There's a lot else, but people have really responded to this match. Even people who aren't fans of boxing or sports have really responded to it. And I think, um, yeah, there's definitely a desire in me, I think, to kind of convey those sorts of high adrenaline experiences. You, you just uh, want to put I, people One on. of the things I always say to myself, you just want to put people so, on the oh, edge of the seats. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And one of the things I, I think always is uh, I want people to be out of breath when all they've been doing is reading a page. That's, that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, according to some of the reviews, you're, you're actually uh, reaching that goal. This has been uh, described as an intricate thriller as intense as it is clever. Um, oh. one of the one of the uh, reviews says undercard had me reading with the momentum of a house on fire, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, which is nice. <laughs> which which is very nice uh, very nice praise. Um, but it also begs the question, David. This is a, a first time novel, but is it a first time writing effort? N no. Yeah, great question. No, um, so it's it was my third, like, uh, full attempt at, at finishing a novel and trying to get it published. Basically, my first one, um, my first one, I, I didn't really understand, like, sort of everything about the industry and how, like, there's actually a length, like, a desired length of novels. I didn't know after you just write them as long as they are. And um, especially for a first-time author, you know, the journey not going to... You know, Stephen King can write a 900-page novel. You know, get published. You know, first-time author, unlikely. So uh, I spent my whole 20s writing this novel. And uh, no one wanted it. <laughs> that was a good use of your 20s. <laughs> Could have had more fun and done a lot more than write it. But, um, um, and then the, the next one, though, I fortunately acquired my agent, although we still didn't get a publisher. And then uh, I actually took a lot. I think a lot, both my skills had developed from those two, two efforts, but also there are a lot of aspects of um, things from those two novels, knowing that they weren't going to be published, that I sort of pulled, that put into undercard. So, um, it, it, yeah, I think that's helped. It's kind of funny. I think, like, when you speak to um, aspiring authors, like, I was so unhappy when those first two efforts were rejected, and I knew it was over and they weren't going to get picked up. But now... I'm so much happier that Undercard was my first book to be published and that this is the kind of work that everyone gets to know me from as opposed to those two, which were uh, definitely not on the same quality of Undercard, even, even though they, I did think they were good. Yeah. Third time's a charm. Exactly. Now, one of the other uh, 
one of the other things that's that's interesting about this is you were talking about uh you know training in in toronto and then you set this in las vegas mm-hmm. why las vegas and didn't that create a lot of work on your part to capture and portray las vegas Yes, yes. I mean, the book, uh, for anyone who reads it, it does sort of it touch on a, on a number of things. So it was a lot of research. <laughs> I'm going <gonna>, I'm <laughs> to say it was uh, quite, quite a lot of intense effort, a lot of reading and stuff like that, you know, visiting places, things like that, but um, speaking to people. But um, it, it really, it came about that I felt like Las Vegas met a lot of the things of the story I wanted to tell. So as I was kind of... Um, like I said, I started really just with the four main characters and, and kind of thinking about them and their relationship with one another. That was really the seed for the whole story. But then as it was developing and, and um, I was thinking of the sports element and I, I realized maybe I could feature boxing. And then also I'd, I'd had experiences in Vegas where I sort of, um, where, where I saw kind of, I saw this very, very militarized police presence at one point while I was in Vegas. And it just kind of stuck with me. I saw this like a sniper on a roof, and 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 the whole team dressed like they were um, dressed like they were in Iraq, like like pa- in a war zone, like like in um, with paramilitary battle, like desert camo fatigue. Yeah, para- yeah, paramilitary yeah, exactly. stuff. And, uh, yeah, and then you know, and then when you see the strip, and you're in these casinos, and you just think, wow, this is like a real juxtaposition. So, so. And then also just knowing, you know, as as I just mentioned, having the first two books rejected, I, I one of the many lessons I learned was you need a sort of sexy, uh, catchy location, right, <laughs> to attract publishers, to attract readers, you know, to get people excited about it. So, so and obviously Vegas, you know, with Hangover movies and and so many other movies and stories set there, and it's sort of it's so iconic, and then plus with the surrounding desert, there were just so many things I thought, okay, this could be marketable, but it, it's also got, like, if I want to deal with issues that, you know, that, that I ended up writing about, I can deal with it there. So, and, and then also I had, um, I've spent a lot of time in South Florida, like Miami area, and then also Cape Town, South Africa, which are also like tourist, uh, you know, famous, uh, world-renowned tourist cities, sure. but then also very kind of uh, stratified societies at the same time. So, so, even though it's Vegas, there's a lot of my experiences in those cities and, and, and things I've read, though, I've, I wanted to make it sort of indicative of, of these types of spaces that are, are the very juxtaposed, uh, very expensive tourist spaces, but at the same time, um, quite impo- impoverished neighborhoods um, right in the same city. And, uh, yeah, so, that's so kind of there was just a lot there. That's kind of true of, of Las Vegas and Atlantic City. You see these uh, beautiful casinos, right. and then you get a couple blocks away, and things are not going so well for the regular folks. Um, but but interestingly exactly. about Las Vegas, David, is that that's where a lot of the big boxing matches are held. That had to be a part of your your thought process. Exactly. 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 So it's it, it was just like it, it just as I was building the story, it just from so many different angles. Vegas seemed the the best uh, the best option. Vegas was a was a setting that could meet what I wanted to do with the story from about you know several angles. So so that's why I ended up uh, choosing it as the setting. Being a uh, professional tennis player, 
and mm-hmm. you know the the discipline and physical activity that that entails is an awful lot different than sitting for hours, days, weeks, and months at a time at a keyboard. Um, what, right. What, how how do you how do you balance how do you balance your you know your your physical self against the the cerebral and and the uh, more introspective writer part? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, yeah. I, it is funny. I do find when I'm more, like, coaching and, and training and stuff, it's like I'm all uh, happy and confident. And <laughs> when I'm in a, a phase where I'm more writing, suddenly I'm neurotic and uh, unhappy and, you know, filled with regrets and remorse and things like that. It's funny. It's just, like, these different... But um, I, I think... One of the things, I, I think, just with the sports, it really helped me just like, you know, constantly like trying to get better and pushing myself harder and, and leading sort of a more disciplined lifestyle and getting used to um, really pushing, pushing myself outside my comfort zone to develop. You know, I was, I was writing from a young age and I always just thought of myself as, a, you know, a very good writer because I'd started at a young age and, you know, at like the sort of school level, I'd done well in English and things like that. And then suddenly I realized like I'm putting so much effort in my sports, I need to to take that level of energy and effort into my writing and really and really start pushing myself much harder and, and much further outside my comfort zone and really approaching it sort of in a similar way to the, the sports. And I think that had a huge impact of, of, of really, uh, for a number of years, taking up my writing year to year. So I think it's been very beneficial. And it's also it's a great way to sort of de-stress, you know, like when you're at the end of a writing phase or, or while writing, you know, to go running, to go training, play tennis, uh, yoga, things like that. Um, in, the, in the process of writing, I always, I always ask writers this because it seems like there are uh, two kinds of writers, ones that are very disciplined that use outlines or, or have a set schedule each day and they write from this time to this time and then there are some that just go off in a cabin somewhere and they don't come out for three months and they've got a book written yeah, right. um do you do you binge write or are you more disciplined than that yeah I, it's funny you say that yeah that's exactly my same experience that it does seem to be these kind of like uh two different styles of, of approaching it um I personally, yeah, I'm fairly uh, regimented. I, I, so I don't always write, you know, like, for instance, when the book comes out, I'm focused more on promoting and stuff. But when I'm really in a phase, when I'm, and, and I'll take breaks between drafts to recover. But um, when I'm in a phase when I'm writing, I try, my focus is to get three, three very good sessions a day of writing. And I try to do one first thing in the morning. And generally the sessions will be about an hour. Um, it, early in the day, it could be an hour to two hours, and generally, and then I'll try and space them out throughout the day, these uh, sessions, but they generally will get a bit shorter as the day goes on. You get a bit more worn out, and sometimes I can do four sessions in a day, but I try not to put time limits or word counts, things like that, because I feel that there's a big difference in the level of effort um, depending on what you're writing. Like, like the beginning of a scene, I always find more difficult to write than once you're in the scene and it's flowing, you know, and, and it's all set up already. Or... Um, you know, for instance, dialogue I find easier to write than um, sort of description and detail. So uh, there's, there's um, 
So that's why I don't think, you know, it's like if you're training, you know, running up a hill is not the same as running flat, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. so, so the more intensive it is, I think it should be less. That's why I, I'm sort of, I don't like when people are like, oh, thousand words a day. Well, you know, or, 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 you know, two hours straight. Well, it might be more intense. You know what I mean? I think that would be the equivalent of doing the exact same level of intensity exercise every day. You know, I don't think that would be optimal either so that's my view <laughs> well and and it's it's probably easier on the editing if you have a tight draft to begin with um some people you know will just yes will just write and write and write and figure i'll clean everything up in editing yes yeah yeah exactly yeah that is, that is something i think about i try um to kind of have a main focus each draft so i try to focus more on just getting the plot out in the first draft, but nevertheless, I'm always, yeah, I'm thinking about the quality of writing. Uh, I, I really am doing my best the entire time, although as it goes on, uh, it, you know, as the revisions go, by, by the end, it's, it's much more focused just on style and almost nothing changes um, in terms of plot and character, whereas the beginning, it's much more focused plot and character. But it definitely helps in the editing if you're already got solid kind of um, stylistically. Yeah, if there are already some good passages, um, it exactly. makes <laughs> makes it a little easier moving on. Now you talked about, um, you know, now that now that the book is uh, is out, um, that uh, you're promoting the book. This is a very unusual time with the global pandemic going on yeah. to be, you know, debuting yeah. anything. Um, do you have enough experience and, and research to know how this is different than it might have been had it had it had we not be if we were not in the times we're in? Right, uh, I, I probably not enough personal experience. You know, I I haven't really um, you know I I sort of have a sense, but um, I don't have much personally to compare it to a little. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, I was supposed to go to a number of, you know, fun places. Book <laughs> but, signings you know, and traveling places, and all you know, that. Yeah, book signings. Yeah, and I think being a tennis coach, you know, it's really, you know, your job is always with people. You know, you're always around people. Like, it's, that, that's the most fun part of being a coach, you know, and that you get to interact with a lot of people and kind of, like, entertain people and things like that. And, and I think, um... When you're doing live events as a writer, it really reminds me of being a coach. You know, like the things I liked about being a coach and, and interacting with people and, and sort of, you know, entertaining them to an extent and things like that. So it is when you're just sitting, like as you said before, <laughs> on your computer, <laughs> kind of doing social media posts. <laughs> it's not exactly as much fun as, <laughs> you know, right, meeting people in person, you know, meeting new people. Well, you know, I, a lot of fun. I, always ask, I always ask writers about that interacting with people thing because for a lot of writers well for i think all writers writing is um, a very solitary introspective kind of endeavor right. and and some people right look forward to getting done with the writing and then getting out with people and they get, they get a sense of these are the people that i'm writing to 
and and I, I want to yeah. know them, and and I want to relate with them. And then there are some, you know, leave me alone. I, I, here's the book. Just go read the book and leave me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your business now. It's not my business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, but um, for me, yeah, it's definitely yeah the the first of what you mentioned. Yeah, I, I just think um, always when I was writing my stories, my my thoughts are always like that. I want people to enjoy it. I want to share this with people and kind of uh, you know, it, it's like you're living with these characters for a long time, and then suddenly you're, you're sharing these characters and their story with the rest of the world, and it's kind of like you want to enjoy people getting to experience these characters that you came up with. I mean, that's for me, but, it, but, like, I, but like you just mentioned, the other writers are, are not quite the same. As that. You know, another, uh, another description of your, your book was gritty, dark, and cinematic. Do you imagine uh, mm -hmm. this story being told on uh, television or in the movies? Yeah, well, it actually looks like it's getting fairly close to being a, a series, a, a TV series. So it's uh, it's it's funny the the sort of um, film TV side. It's like way more steps than the publishing side, where it's basically a publisher either takes it once you have an agent, they either take the book or they don't take the book, and then you know it's it's published or not published. But um, with this, it's sort of like you know a producer buys the the option, and then you know then maybe there's another producer, and then <laughs> but it's it, so it's a number of steps, but it's actually moved quite a lot of steps, and there's um, some funding for um, the, the for the screenplay. Um, and uh, anyway, it's quite exciting. Hopefully, so hopefully uh, it will be. <laughs> Looks like it's fairly close. I feel like it's like one step away to to actually going into uh, uh, getting getting you know the go ahead to go to into production. When you're writing, which which comes first, the story, and then you add characters that that would happen to, or characters, and and then come up with the kind of things that they would be up to. Mm. Uh, for me, I've actually tried both. I've tried both, and I think sometimes. So with Undercard, though, uh, it was the characters. It was um, I, I my initial idea was. I wanted to write a story because I'd actually touched on this in one of those previous uh, works that didn't get published. Um, I wanted to write a story about people who had been very close friends growing up, but now as estranged adults, all the, um, the situations that they're in, they, their needs and motivations all collide with one another, you know, not through, through no fault of their own, but it just works out that way that, that uh, all their motivations are conflicting and, and um, how they're going to have to navigate these uh, conflicting loyalties to their friends, to their families, to themselves, to their community, uh, that would be the, the meat of the story. So, so uh, that's, that's really how the story built. And I had to build um, the individual plot lines for each of the four characters, and then I had to work out how these individual plot lines and individual kind of um, uh, battles and sort of tensions, uh, conflicts that each character had to overcome on their own, how they would all intersect and sort of disrupt one another. And uh, so, so it was quite fun. But it took. I, I thought about it. I worked out the characters about two years before I started writing. So I was thinking. I was developing the story for two years before I started writing. Then it was another two and a half years of actually writing and researching. Do you think that that process will will shorten for you in future works? Now that you have a novel that's been published and and have some idea of um, 
the form and, and substance that goes into uh, having a successful novel? Yes, I think I think to an extent. I think um, yeah, because already Undercard was a much uh, for as ambitious as it is. I mean, it, it went uh, you know quite a bit faster than my previous efforts. So that was good. And I think yeah, I think I am finding my um, formula both in terms of my habits for writing, but also how I come up with characters and stories. But I do think I'll try different. For instance, the current one I'm working on, I'm. I'm I'm writing it, it's not as kind of uh, premeditated and, and sort of um, planned as Undercard was, and that's intentional. I think it sort of depends on the story and the characters. Um, I'm going to try different ways of getting into it, because I think um, some you kind of got to find it, and some, uh, for instance, Undercard, um, I really wanted to have some great twists, and, and fortunately people have really responded to the twist, but I knew to really execute a, a really powerful twist, one needs to have the whole story towards it, so that's why I really wanted to have it mapped out, um, uh, uh, the major aspects of the story mapped out beforehand, whereas others, uh, other novels, I might not do that. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention along the way, and, and I wanted to because I thought it was a very interesting uh, plot device, having someone return to their hometown mm-hmm. and, and find that the lives of, of two of their childhood friends were not only very different from each other, but very different than he would have imagined. Right. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think I think sometimes, you know, being an immigrant, you know, I go back to South Africa every roughly four years now. You know, it sort of changes. But, you know, I've just had this experience a lot of going back to this place where, you know, where you're from. And you're around everyone, and then everyone's lives have changed so much, you know. So it was very much an experience I've had many times, and I think um, it sort of found its way into the story that. Well, it is it is interesting, and it it is a part of the story that becomes very relatable for exactly what you just said. David, I have to take another break here, but I would love to talk to you a little bit more if you can stick around. Can you can you hang around for three or four minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. No, no worries. My, my uh, guest is David Albertine. The name of the book is Undercard. And uh, we're going to take a short break. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voice is radio in Flint. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, coming up at the uh, top of the hour, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, it's pandemic. What's going on with musicians during the pandemic? How are they managing to continue to practice their craft. We'll be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. 
Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately, and with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is the author of a debut novel called Undercard, David Albertine. David, welcome back. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, this during the last segment, we were talking a little bit about uh, 
having a debut novel come out during a pandemic, do you think it's a little harder to to reach people, or do you think people are are online so much that that provides a uh, a, a pretty good um, highway to readers? Uh, I do think it's harder to reach people, and I think um, I mean just one major factor is that you know bookstores have been closed. Or, or if they're not closed, you know, um, probably people aren't going to them too much, and you know, libraries um, <clears throat> have been closed. Things like that. I think that's probably made it very tough, uh, much tougher to sell books. So even though people are online, and I think people are at home uh, reading, and um, you know, during during the social distancing, I think it's still uh, not what it would have been had you know bookstores been open and and. Um, and also for me, I prefer, I think my skills are more in um, meeting people in person than online, although I'm trying very hard to develop my online skills. But uh, yeah, I think just overall it's probably hard. And I, I think it's also, you know, people, it's obviously economically tough and, you know, not buying books is probably the, <laughs> one of the first things you'll cut out when, when um, you know, economic times are hard. So <laughs> I think it probably has made it a bit tough, yeah. Well, I get the I get the real impression, David, that you were looking forward to getting out to bookstores and doing book signings and meeting people and and having that kind oh. of interaction <laughs> to help build your audience. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah, no, I'm really. Um, yeah, I guess on the next book, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, festivals and things. I've, I have done it a little bit last year. I was able to do it a little bit, but um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I, I think. You know, some of the, I think when things are harder, it makes it so much easier in the future. So I think, you know, the next book, <laughs> barring another global pandemic <laughs> outbreak, um, it should be a lot, just a lot easier in so many ways, and, and I imagine it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> now, you're, you're living in Toronto now? Yes, that's right. Yeah, although I'll just add one thing. It is fun, um, you know, I appreciate being on this show. It, it, there's still a lot of um, fun experiences, like like you know, doing an interview like this. I really enjoy. Um, well, I was going to ask since I you know have someone from Toronto on the line, if things are much different in Toronto and Canada during this pandemic than they are in the in the states, for example. Yes. Uh, well, I can only go sort of on my impression of what you hear sort of in the news and things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, my impression is that it is, is sort of uh, doing, it's a bit better, and, and that um, it's not quite as uh, extreme, I suppose, the situation is, is what it seems to be in the U.S. And, um, uh, you know, definitely the numbers, I think, are, you know, way lower. I mean, especially in terms of deaths, I think it's... Um, uh, you know, I think we're at about 9,000. Uh, obviously, it's a much smaller population, but even still, I think that's, uh, um, yeah. So anyway, so I, I think I think it's not quite as um, as extreme as, as in the U.S., although obviously still, you know, the, uh, people are taking a lot of measures and things like that and being careful and things like that. Is uh, Are the restaurants and bars closed and, and all of those kinds of things? Uh, at the moment in Toronto, patios are open now. Oh, so, uh, okay. so patios have been open for for a bit, but I don't think indoor restaurants are open yet. So, yeah. is is the uh, is the news in, in Canada and and uh, in Toronto where you are, David? 
is it like it is here in the States where it just seems like it's all coronavirus all the time? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say so. Although, you know, every once in a while there's a scandal. We recently had a scandal <laughs> with the prime minister that I guess people were upset about. But, um, you know, I mean, obviously in the protests, uh, you know, there's been a lot of news on that. So it's kind of... Um, it's, it, I guess it's mostly coronavirus, unless there's like a really big story, then um, that, that uh, is also in the news. Well, let me ask you this, I, and I, I, I ask this of uh, all of my guests, but um, now mm-hmm. this is a new, uh, a new effort, a, a debut novel, if you will, but do you have a website set up yet? Oh, yes, definitely, yes. And, and um, I've got, actually, there's a lot of content and sort of fun things. All um, I've got posts about all my previous kind of uh, media and interviews and uh, blogs and, and lots on it. So so it's it's just my name.com, davidalbertain.com. Uh, so david, A-L-B-E-R-T-Y-N.com, uh, albertyn.com. And um, everything links to my social media um, um, yeah, I'm on pretty much everything, even a YouTube channel with um, an organization that I, I helped start. So um, people can learn everything there. There are also links to buy the book, to buy the audio book. The audio book of Undercut is, is uh, uh, I really enjoy it. I think the narrator did a great job. So, so they can, uh, people can find out everything there. Now, aside from the pandemic, are you still uh, playing and coaching tennis? Uh, I've taken a break uh, during this. Uh, I actually haven't played tennis between the promoting and the pandemic. <laughs> it's been so busy, but I, I've been running a lot. I sort of run in the early mornings when it's uh, quiet to going to the ravines and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to <laughs> getting back out there. You know, you sort, of, you, you sort of miss it. You know, you realize like you know just having the the, the sort of the ball come and the timing and the, 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 that sort of feeling it, it does uh, get a bit. <laughs> you do miss it. Well, I'll tell you what, um, we're, we're pretty much out of time, David, but I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, and I wish you all the best with this book and your future endeavors. Oh, well, well thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed it, too. I really appreciate that, and, and um, yeah, I'm very grateful uh, for you having me on. Thank you. All right. Take care. That was uh, author David Albertine. The book is called Undercard, available where all fine books are sold. And I'm sure you can find out more about him and the book and other things at his website, David Albertine, with a Y, davidalbertine.com. And uh, with that, we're going to take a short break, but we've got uh, music coming up. Tom Summer Program.com
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 